0: You're listening to Leveling Up, where we'll show you how to win at the game of life and business. It's time to power up your skills through life
1: gamification with your host, Eric Sue. Okay, everyone. Today we have Duke Chung, who is the CEO of Travel Bank, which is the leading all-in-one business travel and expense management platform. Duke, how's it going?
0: Great, Eric. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me.
1: Yeah, thanks for joining. So yeah, can you give us a little background on kind of who you are and, and what led you up to Travel Bank? Because I know you've had another startup before this, which had a nice exit. But uh, yeah, I'd like, like to learn a little more about kind of who you are and what got you to you know, where you are now.
0: Awesome. Well, I'm a uh, second-time founder. Um, Travel Bank is uh, my second business. My, my first business was called Parature, which stood for Paradigm of the Future. I started that in my uh, dorm room back in the early 2000 period. And over about 12 years, uh, we built Perature up to be one of the leading customer service uh, SaaS platforms, probably one of the first ones, in fact, at the time when uh, nobody wanted to do SaaS, the rest of the world was still on the mainframe licensing model, and we wanted to do something different. So we built this model alongside of some of the early pioneers like Salesforce. And and ultimately, after 12 years, we sold the business to Microsoft, which became Um, the Microsoft uh, CRM customer support product line, which today is part of the Microsoft Cloud entity. So it was an amazing journey. We learned so much through that process. It was extraordinarily rewarding. And uh, when when I sold the business, actually a a decision I made at the last minute um, changed the path for my upcoming few years, which led me to where I was now. I didn't have an intention particularly to want to stay after the acquisition, just because I had worked on parature for so many years and consumed most of, as everyone can imagine, more than 100% of your time is uh, working on these projects. And, um, and that's all I did for in my 20s, in fact, right? and in, even in my early 30s. Um, and so I wanted to take a break. When Microsoft approached me at the last second and convinced me to stay for a few years to help them talk about what they acquired and how we could help them. And I thought I did some thinking and my, I had never worked for such a large company, you know, having started my own. And I thought it, everything is, in life is an experience. So um, in the last second, I decided to stay. In the uh, few years that I stayed after the acquisition, I learned um, so much about how to, a large business works and also all of the systems and products that a large company uses in order to run a business at this scale like Microsoft. So for me, it was an incredible learning opportunity. And of course, one of the systems that they had in place that they asked us to move to over the two to three year horizon was expense and travel. I and mean, the products that Microsoft had in place was Concur for both expenses and also for travel. And having not used a expense or product, a travel product in my first startup, it was a new experience for us. And I would say quickly became one of the you know, number one questions from our Our employees post acquisition about whether they have to our you know whether our employees had to use Concur to do their expenses and travel just because they didn't particularly appreciate the experience. Of course, relative to other products that we use across Microsoft as well, and I didn't think that much of it initially, other than I had to use it, of course, myself while being part of the organization. And in 2015, one morning, the announcement of SAP acquiring Concur actually changed my thinking in that moment. I was watching that happen and realizing it was the same product we were using within Microsoft. Um, And usually with something so large like that, and an acquisition level happens, um, it creates um, what we would consider an opportunity for a future disruptor to come in to build and the next generation of that system, in this case, expense and, and business travel. And so we... While I was thinking about leaving to go take some time off, I never did that, in fact. And instead, I came back and learned in the couple of years I stayed at Microsoft what an expense and travel system does. And suddenly was presented with the opportunity with this window, given the acquisition of SAP and Concur, to think about how we could build the next generation of products. And I think in enterprise software, one of the things we learned is there's a transformation that happens every 12 years. A lot of the value propositions may be similar, of course, as businesses evolve, they may enhance as well. But a lot of new products come in to solve the same problems that have been in businesses for many times. And those are opportunities. So a couple examples would be like WebEx. When when Eric started WebEx and now he's working on Zoom, effectively a very similar space, but with newer technology and newer distribution. Um, When we were at Microsoft, we had Yammer. And of course, now there's Slack and others out there. And PeopleSoft founders who created PeopleSoft understood how to do ERP. And when they sold, they came out and decided, let's build a PeopleSoft 2.0, which today would they would consider that to be Workday. So if you look at the evolution of enterprise software, what you find is a lot of these value propositions that these newer companies are solving are very similar to the ones that already exist. However, a lot of the technologies are modernized. And that's what uh, this industry calls is a digital transformation. As the world moves forward, these transformations happen. And the test is whether or not the incumbents can get that faster than the new entrants. And whomever prevails may become the newer leader in the space. And so that brought us to TravelBank.
1: Cool. That's awesome. And with Parachur, I've read somewhere that the exit was in the range of about $100 million. Can you confirm, deny that?
0: No, that's what the reports say. Okay, well, just (laughs) say what the reports say.
1: (laughs) Cool. Okay, and then so there's a lot of SaaS founders that are listening. So Perature was a SaaS company. And then with Travel Bank, I mean, how do you guys make money now?
0: Uh, So with Travel Bank, one, in our industry, um, SaaS in general across every category has certainly scaled. And in our industry for expense and travel, I noticed that many of the incumbents when we entered the space we're also on a SaaS platform. And so one of the aspirations we had and learnings over the years is as we approach solving problems, um, we always wanted to think about how we could solve it a little bit differently. And as SaaS has matured, I think while a lot of investors may still be very enamored by this business model because it definitely works, solving the value proposition for a customer is a different problem to solve. And certainly if there is a better way to deliver um, a revenue model or a business model um, that could work even better for your customers, then you know we sh- certainly should explore it. And so, to answer your question, Travel Bank um, is not a SaaS model. Travel Bank is, in fact, a transactional model. And we found in the transactional model, it provides much more scalability for the customers because we can serve them when they're small, that we can also scale when they're large, and we can grow with them over time. And, most of the revenue we generate um, actually doesn't even come from our customers when, in fact, most of the revenue that we generate comes from the suppliers. So suppliers in our business would be the airlines like United and American Airlines and Delta. And of course, the 650,000 hotels that we support, they are the ones that pay us because we're selling all their inventory through our platform. So in a transactional business model, we simply make a margin off of everything we sell.
1: Cool. And are you? Can you give us a range of what that margin is, or is that kind of kept under wraps?
0: Generally, in our industry, the margins can start. It depends on category, but I would say on a blended basis, uh, margins generally in a lower volume start between five and ten percent, and higher volume scale margins can scale up to thirty to forty percent over time. So it's one great thing about this business um, that we really love is the ability to expand margins over time with scale. And also, it presents itself with significant barriers of entries for new entrants to come in because all new entrants generally will have to go through the same evolution of scale in order to earn the higher margins over time. So higher margins for us is is, um, certainly something we aspire to grow towards and helps us focus on making sure we build a scalable business over time that can be very big.
1: That's awesome. And so I'm sure some people are thinking, at least I know I am, you know, SaaS, you have great multiples on the business. So when you switch over to a transactional business, how does that affect valuations?
0: That's a good question. So we perhaps the way to compare this to SaaS is really not the margin from the gross bookings, but of the net revenue we generate, you know, how much cost uh, it takes to support um, the revenue we generate. So let's take, for example, let's say a customer who spends $10 $10 million of uh, travel on our platform and using, let's say, a simple 10% margin. So we would make a $1 million from that customer paid for, for by the suppliers. So that $1 million would be our revenue. And really, to compare with SaaS, um, the, I think we have very similar economics because the cost for us to support that $1 million of revenue is actually a very low. We do have some support costs uh, because we do provide 24-7 support, but otherwise, it's just uh, software and hosting fees generally in our cost of sale so it can be very profitable business in fact as some of our companies have scaled from a million of spend to 5 million to 10 million you can effectively see your net revenue grow from one hundred thousand to five hundred thousand to a million in a course of two years and i think that actually uh, because we don't pull the revenue from the customer in fact we're making money from the suppliers we actually see our land and expand to be much greater over time. Whereas in SAS, what we found was on an annual contract or even on a three-year contract, anytime you're having to negotiate with your customer on expansion, you almost oftentimes get beat up in those contracts. And so you may not be able to get that same kind of lift in expansion over a period of five to 10 years. But in this model, we see very clear proportional expansion to the amount of spend that these companies spend on our platform relative to the revenue. And I think a good example, I would say, is I asked one of our customers, I'm 10 million, do you, would?" of course they won't know how much we're making, but I'd ask them, you know, would you pay us a million dollars of license revenue per year? And they said, no, we wouldn't because we would go to your competitors on the SaaS platform, it would be somewhere closer to 200 to 250,000. In in our business model, we can make a million dollars from that account.
1: Wow. Okay. I guess. I'll, so I'm wondering, like, when you when you work off a of transactional model, are you having, maybe if it's like a small business, for example, are they buying credits or are they paying as they go? Because I would imagine there might be some friction if you are paying as you go. Because it's like, oh, maybe maybe I just don't want to uh, use the platform as much. I don't know. I'm just making things up.
0: Yeah. So. The way our model works is um, our software is generally free to use. In fact, that's how we've scaled to 15,000 companies over the two and a half years. uh, An employee at a company may download our app from the app store. They themselves can just use it for free. And our value proposition is simple. We tell every company that, in fact, all the employees, uh, from the moment you download our app, if we can help you do an expense report by taking photos or book a flight or hotel by yourself within two minutes, then we failed. So it has to be that easy for any employee, particularly an employee at a company that doesn't have expense or travel for them to get up and running. So so we've reduced a lot of friction to allow employees to enjoy this experience. I mean, that's all free. It's only when the company begins to scale and they need a managed travel program from us that the company will sign a contract with us to do to support that. And the reason they would is because at a certain size of a company, a CFO or maybe even the owner or the founder. We'll start to think about savings, you know, are they really saving enough when it comes to travel? Are my employees growing past the original sort of founders mentality employee cohort, where now I'm hiring, you know, I'm scaling my business out and and these newer employees, you know, they come from all different places. They haven't been able to really be part of the early team and maybe, you know, their thinking is different when it comes to travel. So there needs to be a better process to manage the policies. And so when that hap- when they cross that path they'll come to us and they'll turn on some additional features we offer that helps them to create these travel policies, helps them to make sure they set the workflow approvals for the employees. If they want to book more than what our budgets say, there's a path towards approval. We have some reward incentives programs where if employees choose cheaper options, they can earn half of the savings. So that's a very powerful way to encourage employees to book earlier or consider slightly less expensive options. So when you need these type of features in order to help the company save money, then uh, they become a contract customer. And in the transactional model, you know, again, they don't pay anything until users book. When they book, we automatically get paid by the airlines and hotels since we connect with all of them. We also charge an, uh, a transactional fee to the company. It's a $10 transaction when they're on a contract with us that just added on to the transaction. So that's just part of the flow for when a user buys uh, or purchases their flights and hotels. Uh, We add on a transactional fee as part of the contract. And that money will, of course, comes from the company, but ultimately the employee just expenses what they purchased uh, through us, just through the expense system to get their reimbursements. And that's how the money flow works.
1: Okay. And what other numbers can you share around the business today?
0: Well, um, in the two and a half years since we've
1: launched, We have scaled to 100,000
0: users, business travelers and users. They're not only travelers um, because a lot of companies use us for expenses. So in those scenarios, um, we're we're serving all of the employees within the organization. The company is also um, scaled to 15,000 companies. So we work with companies today generally in a smaller business category. Smaller business for us are companies that spend 10 million of travel or less With, I think, a higher concentration of our companies are generally spending a million dollars or less with us. They're just getting started. And uh, 90% of the time, we are the first solution in for these small businesses serving this market. And why we feel this market is really exciting for us. Number one, in the United States, $300 billion is spent on global business travel on an annual basis. The majority of that spend, which is about two thirds of it, uh, $200 billion are spent with the mid-market and enterprise companies. So those are companies above 10 million of annual travel spend. And then the remaining one-third, which is about $100 billion of uh, global, of uh, annual spend in the United States for travel, um, is in the small business segment. And these companies today, there isn't a really good solution for them to get started with, because most of our competitors in the space have designed their products mainly for the larger enterprises and not for the smaller businesses. And so for us, we see the small business segment as a really great opportunity to serve a market that has been underserved in the past to be the first solution in to help them with expenses and travel. And also to be able to help them get up and running really quickly, I think is one of our main advantages. Um, Not only can companies just sign up themselves and set up their own organization to get onto travel and expense, but also many employees within these companies you know, they are able to now go to the App Store, go to the Play Store. They're able to search for an expense product or a travel platform themselves to use and then download our app and get going even by themselves without their company fully signing on board. And I think that shift in the enterprise is probably the biggest and most dramatic shift in the, the way that these companies are embracing and adopting new technologies. We We have a term we call internally winning the hearts and minds of the employees before we win the hearts and minds of the decision makers. And I think that culture of buying has now shifted so much over the 10 to 15 years across enterprise software, primarily because we have distribution platforms like Play Stores and App Stores that wasn't available 10 years ago. And also the culture of buying software was historically more about somebody up top going to do the research, maybe at a conference, maybe reading analyst reports to bring these products to the enterprise. But I think what you see now is you see this adoption of employees being able to or really wanting to have a voice in the decision-making process, not just a survey, but letting them go and have the choice to start themselves and be part of the decision-making process for the company. So we're seeing this invert from top down, primarily almost into a bottom up. Type of adoption. It doesn't work in every category of enterprise software, but in certain categories like ours and expenses and travel, we think this is a it's a huge transformation in how these businesses are beginning to purchase software.
1: There you go. the The land and expand model. So. For you, I mean, I, I think before we started, you talked about what's really important is is if you work on something, it's building something that scales. I read somewhere else uh, another interview that you did. It's talking about working on big things, which is relevant because I was the other day I was watching a Sam Altman talk, uh, CEO of OpenAI, and he was just saying how you know people have these really short time horizons where they want to exit in two to four years or whatever. It's actually a ten year journey, and th- people are working on things that are just not big problems, like really small problems, right? So for you. How would you recommend that people go out there and figure out how to work on big things?
0: Yeah, that's a great point. I think Sam, uh, first of all, his blog, I don't know if you've read it, uh, Eric, uh, that he wrote maybe a few months back about how to be successful. Yeah. I think it's one of the best blogs out there for founders. Agreed. And And if anything, get some inspiration around. And somebody like Sam, who has seen so much from small to medium to large companies, I think his wisdom is really key in what he's sharing and in his advice. I think that's correct. Um, generally, most founders that I meet, they're oftentimes thinking about something that's too short because sometimes the what we read in the press, what we read in the news is these companies that start and then within a couple of years, they have some exits. And generally, you only hear the really successful stories. When in fact, I think that if the expectation is that, then most Founders or entrepreneurs who come into this cat uh, space are not really thinking about building their business the right way. Generally, I I think the expectation for building a business should be a much longer horizon. It's seven, 10, 15. Even if you look at my first business, um, you know, we worked on it for 12 years and I started in my when I was 21. <laughs> right. So, and I, generally when you're 21, you're also thinking like a couple of years, I'm gonna go do something else, right? You know, so even that, you know, as an example. For that, our own venture or journey was twelve years, and I think that allows you to formulate enough a bigger vision over time to work on it iteratively. Because a lot of the best ideas definitely take a lot of time to build. I know there's a lot of concepts around blitzscaling and trying to speed things up with capital, but I think like everything, there is push and pull. And ultimately, I think the best businesses that endure are the ones that take time to build. Because it takes time to really find good people. That's not something that you can just rush into and expect that you can hire ten people in a week and they will all work out. It just won't. It's impossible to be able to do that. And so I think being more thoughtful and building something that will last, that's enduring, and focusing on ubiquity, I think, is really how founders should think about building businesses to last. And I, and being a founder who who's exited, I can tell you that. When your company sells or exits, like in our scenario, many people ask me, what happens? Like, how do you feel at that time? And working on a company for over 10 years, when you sell a company, it's a, I describe it as a very happy and also a very sad moment because when it is over, it is over for your journey. And when you look back, the best memories I've had were from my parenture, during my parenture years, were really just the, the wins along the way of solving challenges and problems being able to go overcome those hurdles you know over and over again across a 10 year horizon being able to continuously climb and i think what you see is you draw this it becomes this line that goes up to the top right when you look at when you kind of zoom out and that really was those are the happiest moments that you will remember at the end and when it's over it becomes very quiet <laughs> Because everyone moves on to do other things, right? And so, they oftentimes they really talk about the journey being the destination. It is actually true. I didn't really believe that myself until you saw your company, and then you realized the most fun times were actually solving those challenges, those obstacles, those those tough moments in the businesses in constructing your vision for the long term. Those, in fact, were really the the best moments of our journey and And a founder really won't be able to see that while they're in it, but perhaps when it's over or at some level of scale, and they have some time to reflect, they will realize that those were the moments that actually helped to define the memories of their business over time, which equates to the happiness to get them to a path where they're happy. so i my advice is uh, take your time to build these businesses, enjoy every moment, and think about building something big and amazing. And if you sell, join something that is big and amazing, because that will give your path of your journey your business uh, a future journey to continue to tell that bigger story over time. Um, I think that's really important.
1: We'll work towards uh, wrapping up here, but I I guess um, on the note of working on big things, let's say, you know, I go out the next day and I build a timer app, right? Which seems fairly useless right now because there's so many timer – the default timer app is probably okay on your phone. That to me is probably not working on the right thing. So I think what's going on right now, a lot of people are building these random apps or random SaaS products that don't really solve a big problem. So how do you filter for that or what were you – because the things you worked on were fairly big problems, right? Like how do you filter for that?
0: Yeah, I would say when you think about solving a problem, and it could be, I wouldn't say if it's necessarily if it's a small feature, it's definitely not going to be a big business. It could be the beginning of a very big business, depending on how you think about what your app does. So, for example, in Travel Bank, we started as an expense app, right? And expense is a very large category. Every company needs expense product one would say, Duke, there are so many expense products out there, you know, why would you go build another expense product? And so for Travel Bank, you know, our expense product was really built to solve this SMB need to have something really nice and easy to get up and running with. But of course, it was just the beginning of a much bigger vision we had, which was ultimately, we wanted to serve the travel and be the travel management solution for the software and the service, um, the 24-7 concierge service for all these companies. So for us, the expense was really just a path towards getting to the to the next step, which is now we are a travel company serving all these businesses and using expense as a way to distribute into this opportunity. And so and now that we're serving these companies in travel, we're thinking about the next phase, right? So iteratively, even though we're still within this industry, we're thinking about different ways to acquire or different ways to solve immediate pains for these businesses so we can have an opportunity to work with them and then grow a relationship over time. But generally I would say when one looks at a opportunity, I always encourage the founders to really study the industry that they're in, understand how large it is and how many people in your industry have the problem that you're trying to solve. And the test for the solving the problem, the product market fit is very simple. If you built a product for a user and you suddenly take it away six months later, does the user come back to you yelling and screaming because now they've become more stressed? So if you've elevated their, uh, elevated their experience to a level where you've, they don't know that they've eliminated all the stress or concerns of what, how they've done it before, but if you suddenly took that away and they feel much more stressed or overwhelmed then you've solved a problem that is sticky enough for you to begin to continue to build the next phase of the business. So those are things that we really look at in solving that. So you may have a simple idea for an app to get started. But of course, if your vision ends there, then it may not be very successful. But if that was certainly a path towards the next phase of a business or being a bigger part of a solution over time, to either replace an old way of doing something, then they could build a business over time as long as the market is big enough. So uh, coming back to what you mentioned though, Eric, what Sam said is 100% right. You'll have to kind of step back to zoom out and look at the bigger picture, make sure that you're solving a problem that's in, uh, big enough for enough people. And I think the founders who see that you know, will be able to become very successful. And I, I also think it's those founders that see that who have that sort of innate ability to see that are the ones naturally will become more successful because um, that's just how they think about it. And I think that's um, certainly one of the great attributes of some of the best founders out there is constantly studying and learning and sort of adapting to that industry. So they themselves can build something big and large and amazing to transform that space.
1: Great. Three more questions from my side. So earlier, before we started, you talked about so the first time around, maybe your first twelve years or so, and then you you kind of go you go to go to a big company, and then you start you start Travel Bank, and then you talk about being thoughtful about building businesses. So what what does that mean exactly? What happened to lead you up to that point?
0: Yeah, having done one a startup and now building the second one, I think of course much more experienced and much smarter about how we think about building the second business and. The first time we build a business every day is a new learning and it's great. It's very fun because I think when you're learning, generally, it's an exciting time and those that can learn faster will become more successful. So, but everything's a new experience and it's not until perhaps you've maybe sold one company or find some exit or maybe you even shut down your business. Um, That's okay too. When you have some time to reflect back on your journey, your initial journey, then you can think about the things that you know you really enjoyed and things that you may have done differently. I think in the West Coast, um, one thing I've learned is failing is perfectly fine. I think the best thing that you can do from that is just learn from it and improve the next time. And I think that's a perfect mindset to optimistic about it. And so being thoughtful for us the second time really was important for me because having gone through the first journey, we I felt that we made a lot of decisions too quickly sometimes. And certain things that I wish I had spent more time thinking about, I wish I had uh, had the opportunity to do so at the time, but I didn't know that when we did the first business. So for example, I mentioned earlier in building a business, once you've identified your market, then you have to go build your team because your team is the one that's going to be the one to help you achieve your vision over time. And so... And also, in order to build a team, you probably need some capital, especially if you're doing a technology startup, because it's very expensive to attract this team to come over. And you may also have partners as well, right, that you'll need to work with to scale your business. Um, Those could be other technology companies. It could be service providers. So you will need an entire community behind you to help you build a business. It requires all of that at some certain levels, some more than others. But along the way, I can guarantee you'll need to build this community behind you for you to be successful. And being thoughtful for us really meant, for me personally, really meant that we were able to spend more time building, finding the right partners, finding the right investors, and of course, most importantly, making sure we build a really amazing team to help us achieve this vision together. So sharing the vision, what we want to do, how we're going to win, building that unity across all of the, the different constituents that as a founder, you have an opportunity to choose, right? And nobody's forcing you to pick any of these three groups and others. We wanted to make sure we did it right this time by being more thoughtful um, in our approach. And of course, having more experience, we can have a better sense on who we want to bring to the table. But those are things I felt like we rushed the first time around because there's, you know, oftentimes you're in the weeds and maybe you're not able to see as clearly the first time. Maybe um, you don't have as much experience. Maybe there's a lot of pressure to grow the business and you rush into things, maybe unnaturally or forcefully. Maybe there's pressure from others. So second time around, I felt like, we know, now we wanted to spend more time and I call it being more thoughtful, but it really is just more about being selective, finding, making sure we focus on the priorities of the foundation, which are these areas. And then once that's in place, then the business can have a bigger potential over time to be bigger and more amazing and much more scalable over time and of course you have to continue to iterate that team behind you as the business scales and so that way of thinking i think is also really important to continue to make sure you have time to look to step back and look at what you've done from the first phase to the second phase and make sure that uh between the second phase to third phase this team can continue to help you get to the next goal
1: great what is one new tool that you've added in the last year that's added a lot of value? So it could be like an app like Evernote or maybe not Evernote, maybe Notion. And then uh, maybe like a physical thing, like a Peloton bike. So either or, you pick one thing.
0: I would say it's definitely the Peloton because-
1: Oh, you should I add me. Be,
0: yeah, I, should, I will add you. Okay, I will, I and mean, you'll be able to see how often I bike, I guess. But <laughs> uh, maybe that's a good thing. I I was going to say that part of being thoughtful during the second time is, First time around, we were always just working every day and taking care of the customer, building products. It's very fun. You can do that when you're young, for sure. The downside of having more experience is you're older <laughs> over time. And I think the being thoughtful around yourself, how you balance your mind every day, I think that's something that we didn't do as well in the first time. So it's easy to get burned out. And in fact, you know, when you get into these things, right, it's extraordinarily stressful. I think the second time around. We're personal on a personal note, I mentioned much more thoughtful. So between that, it's very easy. I spend more time outside of work, either exercising on a Peloton, doing meditation and thinking, because I feel like in 10 hours of the day, your mind is running at 120 miles per hour. And it's it's unnatural for your human body to be able to do that over an extended period of time. And it's really important for as a founder or, or for that matter, anybody in the company, right, that we would encourage this to make sure you have some time to relax your mind and make sure it's calm. So the morning time is actually where I like to do that. So I will bike on the Peloton or I actually will road bike in the morning, 10 or 15 miles. I live near the Golden Gate Bridge, so I'll bike in the morning, come back. That for me is really one of the best times of the day. Um, it's the time that I can actually think and relax my mind and think about the last, prior 24 hours and really you know, the next 24 hours or even the next few days. And to be able to have time to do some creative thinking instead of very tactful task items, I find that that time to be very precious. So I wish I had had mentors that or others that had told me, you know, the first time around to make sure we did that. I did that. Um, but I think that's really important. I think that's part of making sure you're very scalable over time. You're not going to get burned out. I think it's really critical to have that balance. And I think that helps you gives you enough time to help you think about things that you wouldn't otherwise have time. You really just have to have the discipline to do that. So on the Peloton or a meditation app or you know something that you have some time to yourself, it could be even just 30 minutes in the morning in your garden, this would be great. I think those are part of the, it's part of the experience of building a business um, is making sure you set yourself up enough time for yourself to calm your mind and uh, make sure you have enough time for the creative thinking.
1: Yep. Completely agree. Got to get your operating system right before you work on the business. So final question, what is one must-read book you'd recommend to everyone?
0: I think in, maybe I've become very uh, Silicon Valley these days. Um, I find that a lot of the inspiration I have is really written into the short-form blogs, like Sam's blogs and others, because we don't have a lot of time to read. And that's one area I wish I had, I would be able to dedicate more time to. But I was thinking about this a little bit. And the one book I actually really... Enjoy the most that I did read and a couple times was was Tony Shay's book around uh, delivering happiness. I think, especially in enterprise software, the focus on delighting your customers is such an important focus to ensure success. And there are many different ways to do that. But I think in that book, the way, of course, you know, selling shoes. I, and when I met Tony, he was the one who encouraged me to read his book about it because I went to go seek some advice from him my first business, and uh, we were in the customer support business ourselves. And so, of course, seeking his his thoughts and advice, I, it was very inspirational for us and how he thought about it. More importantly, how he thought about doing that in a different way. And really, for him, it was all about the mindset and the culture that he sets as a foundation for his employees. So coming back to talk about the thoughtfulness of hiring the right people in his vision of creating that culture for Zappos at the time, and of course now is still being a part of Amazon was really in the foundation of his team, making sure that he put that as a prior as the number one focus around delivering happiness. As everyone says, you take care of your customers and take care of your employees, and you know, everything else will take care of itself. So it's always a good reminder for me. Every day what we do is building great products and experiences to delight our customers. That mindset. Is in the beginning, in the middle, and even at the end, and even after you leave, that mindset will persist in business. That's why we do what we do to to help our customers every day to do things better.
1: Awesome. Well, Duke, this has been fantastic. What's the best way for people to find you online?
0: Best way to find me online is I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. Um, I'm part of Facebook generation that tells updates me a little bit. Those are probably the best ways. LinkedIn, of course, and the enterprise find me in all three channels. Happy to talk to anybody and follow, uh, our journey for travel bank. Um, we would love to find a way to connect with everybody.
1: All right, Duke. Thanks so much for doing this. Awesome. Thank you, Eric. Take care.